0: Welcome to Grow and Learn, everyone. This is Zorina. Today, I'm welcoming somebody who's going to teach us how not to spend too much time in front of our screens. I guess we all need it. I'm welcoming Alex Fink. He's the founder and CEO of OtherWeb, a company that he's going to tell us more about. What I know is that there are a lot of applications, a lot of um, things we need to consider when it comes to consuming news, when it comes to consuming all kinds of content. So... I'm um, all ears. It concerns me directly and my child, who is, um, um, I would say, a struggling consumer of um, YouTube uh, gaming channels. Hi, Alex. Welcome. As
1: Zarina. I think we're all struggling consumers, in, including me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're struggling to get away from it.
1: Right. Well, we're struggling to be in control of it because ultimately these tools are really good at addicting us. And, you know, we all have our weaknesses and these algorithms over time find out exactly what they are.
0: Yeah. Alex, what, what is your story? How did you come to this? You, you're, what I read from your profile is that you are a technical executive, previously worked in Silicon Valley. Now you're in Texas with your um, new initiative that you started at the web. What brought you to this new career path?
1: Right. So I guess for the 15 years prior to this, I was building perception systems, cameras, computer vision, that sort of thing. And at some point I had this crisis of conscience where it dawned on me that the world does not need more cameras and I'm not making it better by creating even more cameras that gather more information. And you know, ultimately when we all come back home after work at the end of the day, we're all consuming junk somehow. So all of this mountain of information that we are gathering using cameras and all sorts of other tools for some reason isn't helping us. And I wanted to figure out why. And that's what led me down this rabbit hole of looking at information quality and how it comes about.
0: Mm. So I know now because I've spoken to other people that are also experts in AI. I know you touch on the topic of AI as well. And since a lot of the information is AI filtered and directed, Uh, what insights can you give us about the type of information we regularly consume? Like, as a regular person, what kind of information is directed to me? How is it filtered? How am I targeted? Things that I need to know.
1: Right. So first of all, AI is just a set of tools and you can use it for any purpose. Just like you can use a kitchen knife to make a salad or to stab someone, right? (laughs) AI can be used to create better information, worse information, anything that you really want the way that the vast majority of platforms out there use their algorithms and what they tune them to is to maximize your engagement. And they all measure engagement in slightly different ways. Some of them just maximize time on site. Some of them want to maximize the number of shares or the number of clicks or the number of quick reactions or the depth to which you watch every particular video if we're talking about YouTube, right? But they all try to maximize something. Now, you have to consider that What they consider engagement essentially means getting more resources out of you, whether it's your time or your actions, right? So they're not actually being your friends when they're maximizing your engagement. They're not giving you more value. They're taking more time, more actions out of you. And whether you got value in return or not, it's not really their concern. That's not what's being maximized here. So if you want to kind of control your path as a consumer, I would actually ask the question, how do I get the most value for the smallest amount of time for the least amount of actions, right? I don't want to share 15 times. I want to share once. I don't want to spend 90 minutes per day on TikTok, which is now the average in the U S right. I want to spend nine zero, tw- 90, nine zero. Yes. Wow. And the total now, especially for young people is more than four hours across all social media uh, per day. And so Can we get the same amount of value in less time? I think yes, right? But for that, we need to start maximizing our own benefit instead of letting the algorithm maximize the benefit of the company that is showing this content to us.
0: So that would mean that you would search for a particular topic that you're interested in and you watch something specifically, you know, targeted to your own interest and not something that you're bombarded with.
1: So that is one way. And that's, by the way, how I started using YouTube and all of these other sort of media, I went in, I deleted my entire history. I unsubscribed from everything. I deleted all my likes. And now basically when I come in, it doesn't show me anything useful because it doesn't know anything about me. So the only way I can use YouTube is if I actually enter something I want into the search bar and Mm -hmm. select one of the results, right? This reduced the amount of time I spent on YouTube, but I think I get the exact same benefit I got before, right? Um, Now, that's one way to solve the problem. The other way is if you do want some sort of service that shows you a feed so that you don't have to manually search, you just have to very carefully select what that is and how that feed is generated. So you have to use a service in which you control things using some sort of manual settings or filters, as opposed to just having this black box that tries to maximize your engagement.
0: I see. Is, is this what uh, you are doing currently with web? Tell us a bit about... Uh, yeah.
1: What, yeah, so that it, was one of the ideas. I think the original idea was that we wanted a way to help people consume higher quality content. And that meant the first step was we had to measure what content quality is. So actually the very first product, before there was an OtherWeb, we just created a bunch of different AI models that measure something about written text. Like how subjective it is, how formal the tone is, how many words are hateful, how many words are uh, offensive. Does it have external references? Basically everything you could measure about it. And we created a nutrition label that just like the one that you have on food items that tells you how much protein there is, how much fat there is uh, and what the ingredients are. right? Now, people really like that, but they told us, okay, this needs to be packaged with the content. I don't want to have to click on something else to see it. And that's why we created this platform that is now called OtherWeb that aggregates content from all over the web, news, commentary, podcasts, research studies, Wikipedia pages, anything we can get our hands on, right? And filters out junk, adds these kind of nutrition labels to every item, and then gives the user as much control to really configure their feed. So the feed part wasn't the first uh, step here, right? It's something that we added later on. But we'll see how people use it. Maybe we'll add more things to it later on. For now, we have a little over 2 million users. So it's growing, but it's th- certainly not the size of a Twitter or Facebook yet. Yeah. So
0: how how do you deal with the topics of censorship? I mean, I, I know that on YouTube, censorship is now turning, um, how should I say, <laughs> the, turning the other side of the I don't know what the, the terminology is, but um, yeah. it, it's turning against them, the whole censorship that they applied. So when you apply this label for um, digital quality, how do you make sure that it's allowing this type of alternative content and yet it's filtering out the garbage?
1: Right, Right, so the way that we address it is we try to focus on the form and not the substance. So we don't really care whether in your video you say the earth is round or the earth is flat. Mm -hmm. We're not there trying to figure out which one's true, which one's false. We just want to make sure that if you make a scientific claim, that you provide certain types of evidence, you use certain types of language that seems like it's informing us of the facts and not trying to persuade us in some way, right? And we're basically policing the form in which you lay out your argument, not what the argument is. If you have a contrarian argument that most people disagree with, that's great. We want to have those kind of contrarian arguments on our platform as well as long as they are not illegal in some way, like obviously child pornography is illegal, incitement to violence is illegal. We have to remove that. But right now that kind of content can't even appear on our platform just because of the list of sources from which we scrape the data, right? Generally speaking, they all already removed it before we touched it. But on everything else, we try to get as much source diversity as possible. We try to get as much opinion diversity as possible. And only filter by up and down, not left versus right. Um, I don't really care if people consume right-wing content or left-wing content. I prefer that they consume both, right? But I want them to focus on things that are meant to inform rather than persuade. Mm-hmm. Did,
0: you, did you have um, any f- first um experience with somebody having mental health issues or being more excitable because of using um digital content in in excess or i i, what, I think we is, see it all around
1: us right mm-hmm. um you don't even need first-hand experience you just look at the former president of the united states or the current person who just bought twitter he's clearly a twitter addict right <laughs> So I think we see these effects all around us. Um, I keep talking to people and every time I talk, now it's professional curiosity. I start asking them, how do you use social media? How much time do you spend on it? What do you remember from the last time you used it? And almost every person I talk to sounds like an addict, right? They keep talking about gaps in my day. I say, okay, how much time did you spend on social media yesterday? He says, well, maybe two hours. say, okay, do you remember anything you consumed during that time? Can't name a single piece, right? It literally sounds like somebody who just blacked out on drugs for two hours and then woke up and doesn't know what just happened,
0: Uh right? I think and... I have a cure for that, actually. I mean, apart from oh, everything you're suggesting, um a- as a content creator, i I notice that whenever I create content, I don't have time to consume. So I'm just blasting out. I'm just posting things sometimes on Facebook, sharing on LinkedIn, and I don't have time to scroll and look for other people's content. I just need to put my content out. So <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I mean that that is a good cure for idle hands is be busy, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, as long as you are busy creating stuff, then probably you don't have time to uh, consume more content. But still, I would say, like, I used to be, I think, pretty busy throughout my career. And yet, if I look back, I've had entire periods where the entire time between, let's say, 9 p.m. and midnight
0: mm-hmm. was
1: consuming nonsensical things on YouTube or other social media or Spotify or something like that. Right. Did I gain anything by doing that? I'm not sure. Right. Um maybe if I were at least on a treadmill while doing that there would be some benefit but the benefit would be from a from the treadmill. Yeah. Right. So I think we all do that to some extent and if it's not social media there's a risk it might be television or something else. So there are these time wasters built into our life. And every time I point people to that including myself right there's these defense defenses that we all hear well, you know, I'm tired after work, I need to relax, so this is what I do. I'm thinking, you could relax outdoors. You could spend time with family, with your neighbors, right? You could just take a walk in the woods if the weather is good. Are you sure that TikTok and Instagram are the most efficient way to relax? And if they are, why is it that people seem to be lonelier and more depressed and more erratic than ever? So it's probably not a very good way to relax probably not a very good replacement to social connection or to nature but it's addictive
0: so 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 now that you freed up your time what do you do between 9 and 12 p.m
1: well if i have work i do work Uh (laughs) um if i want to watch something with my wife then we watch something together right so at least it's a bit of a more social activity right um if i haven't exercised that day then i exercise right so, yeah, Parkinson's law means if you have extra resources, they will be consumed in one way or another. Yeah. But you can prioritize how you want to consume that time. And certainly something that involves other people is better than just being glued to the screen and not remembering what happened afterwards.
0: That's true. So so when it comes to children, uh, what recent researches or or what 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 can you tell us about the, I mean it's clear that the effect is terrible. The the not only mental health, but also the level of suicide. We don't know what it's uh, what to assign it to. But any, anyhow, I mean, there are clearly mental health issues with with the young. And so what can you tell us about specifically how to help children get rid of this addiction?
1: Well, let me talk about the uh, mental health effects on children yeah. specifically, because I think research is pretty specific about what the cause is, and it's not exactly what, what the, we had just discussed. I think that if you look at suicide, self-harm and depression among adolescents using social media, right, then there is a very big difference between girls and boys. It seems to affect girls a lot more, which suggests that what happens there is not just content consumption, right? What happens there is some sort of bullying, shaming, social pressure, these kind of things, right? Um, And so maybe that should be addressed separately. And if you can't address it, then at least maybe try to direct the child to social media that don't have these effects. Um, I would say not Instagram for in the case of girls and social bullying, right? Um, But in general, we have to realize that, you know, us old people, (laughs) sorry for lumping you into that, right? But people who remember things before the internet, right? we've seen different modes of communication, different modes of content consumption. And so now there's this new mode coming in. We still have a baseline or a comparison point. Mm-hmm. Young people just don't have that. It's not like they are less prepared in some other way. They just don't know other options existed before. They don't feel when something is off and not the way it used to, right? They're just, okay, this is the way the world works. Yeah. And so I think we need to try to help them Give them a baseline, explain, no, it wasn't always like this. You didn't always just scroll and consume the next thing that popped in front of you. Sometimes you used to actually search for content. Sometimes you used to go to a library and have to pick a book, right? And so it's up to us to tell them what the comparison or the alternatives are, right? And maybe explain to them how these things work and like what we just started from in this episode, right? They're not here to maximize your value. They're here to maximize your engagement. Mm-hmm. Right? Are you sure you want to be donating your engagement without getting anything in return? If not, let's think of some mechanisms by which you can set up this feed to be better for you. Right? I think young people would be as open to these arguments as old people are. They just need slightly more information to start a discussion.
0: On, on other web, is there an um, application specifically targeted to children?
1: No. Um, for now, there is only one version of it. It's English only. It's pretty U.S. centric for now, though we do have uh, some UK and Australian and Canadian news. Right. So we will create, I think, some versions for it for different locales, different ages, maybe specifically for academy or for students. I don't know. But for now, there's only one other web.
0: Mm -hmm. And, And when you say there's a selection of news, these are all labeled as digitally proofed or how do you label them?
1: what do you mean digitally proofed
0: um what is the label that you were talking about that you the the label of quality that you give mm. um, so
1: we give all the raw information that we can infer right so we have a nutrition label with a, a whole nutrition. bunch of different mm-hmm. line items in them right um, we also generate a summary of each news item so before you spend a lot of time reading the entire thing you can just read three bullet points and decide whether you want to continue or not right and we also give a bunch of controls to users before they start consuming items so that they can configure what appears and then what order. So there's a bunch of sliders where you can kind of show for each topic, let's say for sports, do you want more articles or higher quality articles? Because there's obviously a trade-off, right? Mm-hmm. And So you're kind of setting the bar that you want all items to cross before they appear in your feed. Um, and besides that, we recently rolled out feed customization mechanism, except unlike the Twitters and uh, TikToks of the world, we tell you what we inferred about your interests, and we let you change it if you disagree. Uh So for example, we decided that you really like electric cars and really don't like the British Royal family, but maybe it's the opposite. So you have sliders that you can move in the opposite direction. The same thing with emotions. Recently, we added um, this inference where we Try to determine for each article which emotions it's likely to trigger in the reader. And so let's say over time, based on your interaction with content, we reach the conclusion by we, I mean, our algorithm reaches the conclusion that you really like things that are depressing and infuriating, and you really don't like things that are hopeful or educational. Maybe you disagree with this, and you actually want slightly more hopeful and educational things in your feed. So there's a manual control where you can shift the slider and say, less of this, please, more of this. And this, in this way, we are trying to put you in control of what appears there because we don't have an agenda to show you particular types of items. We just want you to get the value that you came for.
0: Mm-hmm. Back in the day when you were working in uh, Silicon Valley, did you work on um, motion detection of the pupils of the eyes when people are watching their phones? like? No. No, you didn't. Because...
1: No. I, I mean, I mean, the the cameras that I dealt with typically didn't have this level of information. Um, I know that this is being worked on right now, but I guess I left the field before that was a big thing. Um, back in those days, the only device in which you could really track pupils accurately was a VR headset. Uh
0: huh. Okay. No, I, I I think it it's been actually applied for a few years now that uh, yeah. that they're yeah. tracking your attention based on the focus of your pupils.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is. And obviously, the the more information they get in that sense, the worse it is for us. Though, let me play devil's advocate for a, for a second and, and articulate the opposite viewpoint, right? Um, if you look at primitive social media and the way that initially they were trying to maximize engagement, they were going by very, very crude signals. How long you look at something, how fast you share it or click on it, how fast you scroll to something else, et cetera. These are very, very bad measurement devices, right? And so on the one hand, you're saying, great, it means they will be not as good as trying to at trying to hack my brain. But on the other hand, there is a problem with these crude measurement devices, which is they only measure things that occur instantaneously, like fast reactions that you have. And negative emotions tend to rise faster than positive emotions. Mm-hmm. So even if on average, 50% of the content makes you happy, 50% of the content makes you angry, right? And even if you reacted to them with the same intensity, which may or may not be true, these systems would typically only measure the negative reactions accurately, because they happen faster. And so if they're trying to show you more of what you engaged with, over time, you always got feeds that made you angrier. And so it's actually possible that tracking pupils or some other better measurement device will help them recognize positive emotions as well, oh. because until now, those were not even a part of the equation for the most part.
0: Very interesting. Where Where is the future taking us in terms of AI and if people are not using other web and continue to consume content as they as they have been? Uh, Where is AI going to take them in terms of their? Well, I think
1: even before AI, we were already going into this future of more and more junk chasing fewer and fewer dollars, right? And so we're already in a kind of an arms race where, you know, everybody is trying to monetize using ads, ads pay per click or per view. There's no paper truth or paper quality, right? So over time, everybody was drifting towards clickbait. And now what's going to happen with generative AI specifically is that the cost of generating bad content has just gone down, Mm. right? Good content is still expensive to produce. You need to research, you need to investigate, you need to do a whole bunch of things, right? But to generate cheap clickbait, you need nothing. And before that, maybe one guy at BuzzFeed could write 15 clickbait articles per day. And now with ChatGPT, the same guy can write 1,500, maybe not at BuzzFeed anymore because they are dead, but at whatever replaces them. And so I think the amount of junk is going to increase. And unless we have good filtering mechanisms, it will be pretty unbearable, right? So I think the closest analogy to that would be what would life be like without an antivirus or without a spam filter? And That's the era that we're going into where everything is full of viruses and spam, Mm-hmm. And everything will be full of junk content generated by generative AI. And so you need all of these filters in your life to just be able to look at something and for there to be any chance that that's useful for you. Mm-hmm.
0: From your experience, again, back when you were working in technology, and you're still in technology, but in Silicon Valley in these technology companies, do you think... Uh, I lost my train of thought for a second. I meant to ask you. Ah, uh, I meant to ask you whether you think that these decisions that the companies were making were purely profit driven or if there's a different agenda behind.
1: Um, I would say for the most part it's profit driven. Sometimes it's profit plus some intention that is either misguided or not, but that's less likely. Right. You have to consider that for the most part, every startup in the US registers itself as a C-corporation and C-corporations, basically the bylaws, the incorporation papers and the laws of the state of Delaware state that every executive has a fiduciary duty to maximize shareholder value and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Right, And so anything else that you put above shareholder value could potentially get you sued by the shareholders mm-hmm. if you pursue it. And so when Google said their mission is to organize the world's information, yeah, as long as it doesn't clash with making money. And mm-hmm. But if it clashes making money, right? Mm-hmm. When Facebook says connecting the world, yes, as long as it doesn't actually contradict Excellent. making money, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we did to try to avoid this trap is to register ourselves as a public benefit corporation, mm-hmm. which actually allows us by law to put some other thing that we're trying to maximize in the incorporation papers. And now shareholders cannot demand that we follow one or the other. We are by law allowed to follow both, maximizing our mission, which is improving the quality of information people consume, and making money at the same time, right? But very few companies do this. I think for now, it's still in the single digits in the US. So for the most part, making money wins. Now, I've heard some anecdotes to what you said. And specifically, I think Eric Schmidt was uh, saying this in an interview I think on the Daily Wire, but I'm not sure, he was talking about how in the early days of Google, they tried to balance 50-50 between the user's benefit and maximizing the revenue from that user. Right, And so if they were trying to figure out whether to introduce a particular feature to search, for example, then they were trying to balance out better search results, which is what the user wants, and more clickable ads, which is what Google wants the user to do. Right? I'm pretty sure that since then, Google has switched to pretty much 100% more clickable ads because their search is not as good as it used to be, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, some companies still try to balance the two. I don't think it's very popular. I think for the most part, it's pure profit. Mm
0: -hmm. That was a very useful piece of information, what you just shared about how you registered your company. I found it very useful. Uh, uh, Is there anything that you'd like to share that I've missed asking you today?
1: So I want to share a general mindset that Mm -hmm. I hope more and more people will kind of switch to, which is just trying to really plan your information consumption. Just like most people have tried a diet at least once in their life. Some people actually stick to some diet, right? Because you know that if you just react to what's on the table in front of you, chances are you will not eat healthy food. And so if we just react to whatever information somebody put in front of us, The same problem happens with our brain. And so I would really want people to start thinking maybe in the beginning of each day or maybe even in the beginning of a month or a quarter or a year, what do I want to consume during this time? Like, what do I want to put into my brain? What percentage of that should be books? What percentage of that should be talking to other life humans who live around me? What percentage of that should be news? What percentage of that should be sports or something else that helps me relax, et cetera? I'm sure the answers are going to be different for every person. But if you ask yourself this question, then the outcome is probably going to be better if you don't than if you don't.
0: Wow, you're on, on an honorable mission. Um is otherweb an, an app or is it a website? How how do we reach it?
1: It's all of the above. So mm. on the web, it's otherweb.com. On Android or iOS, it's an app called Otherweb. And there is even a newsletter and we're introducing news widgets and a whole bunch of other things as well. But for now, I think if whatever platform you happen to be on, either go to otherweb.com or to the App Store or Google Play and just search for OtherWeb. Um, But yeah, it's not like I am insisting that this is the only tool that solves the problem. If people use our competitors, great. (laughs) As long as people use something, because I'm worried that if we're all consuming junk, then our actions will not be very good, and so I'm hoping that people start consuming higher quality information, and that will lead to better actions in the world.
0: I mean, it's obvious by the craziness going around. But okay, I mean, it's it's obvious that we need such services, be it other web or whoever else is is coming to assist <laughs> in the saving of humanity. I would even say <laughs>
1: from itself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alex, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Likewise. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Grow & Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow & Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.